All right. Well, hey, everybody. Um, I'm super excited to introduce my next guest, Doan. Um, Doan and I have been friends for the longest of times, I think actually since sophomore year of high school. And um, Doan, I want to just let freshman you- Freshman year of high school. Oh, dude, freshman year? Okay, freshman year of high school. Um, so yeah, we've just known each other for a long time, still keep in touch. It's been a while. <laughs> a while, yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, Doan, well, first of all, welcome to the pod. And thank you so much for just, you know, taking a few minutes to just chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this today. Yeah, so Don, before we get kind of started into the questions about, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, I just wanted to know if you can kind of give like a brief overview of your career. I guess, how did you get to what you currently do and what you and what do you currently do now? Okay, sure. So I fell into social work completely accidentally. Um, I ended up pursuing it uh, as a graduate program. And so once I graduated with my LMSW, um, which is a licensed master's of social work, I then gained clinical experience so that I could be a licensed clinical social worker. And um, once I got licensed in that, I decided I also wanted to be a supervisor. So technically my license and my background is in clinical social work and supervision. And so in the time that I was doing that, I worked in a lot of nonprofits um, and culturally specific organizations that provided um, care and resources for people fleeing violence, um, you know, interpersonal violence, and, um, you know, also providing counseling and therapy for people as well. So what I'm currently doing is I'm a clinical social worker, but um, I'm primarily focusing on a private practice um, that I opened not too long ago, but um, I I mostly focus now um, working with preteens and up. I used to work with children as well, um, providing uh, therapy services um, around uh, topics such as trauma, um, you know, grief and loss, uh, attachment, uh, relationships, intergenerational trauma. Um, I do a lot of culturally specific work. So most of my clients that come to me are people who um, are seeking therapy from an Asian American therapist specifically, or if they're not, they're looking for a therapist that also does um, work or specialize in you know, uh, motherhood, um, or women uh, issues and, um, you know, relationship issues as well, um, since that's like mostly what my focus has been. So that's what I'm currently doing right now. Um, and I plan on eventually uh, teaching adjunct uh, as an adjunct professor um, at a university for social work, but that's in the future. Yeah, that's super cool. And you, actually, I don't think you ever mentioned this to me when I think about it. I don't even, what drew you to the field of social work and therapy? Um, I think so, like a good, um, you know, first generation, uh, you know, immigrant 
um, my parents, you know, conditioned me to go through the path of, you know, medical school and pursuing something in the medical profession. But as I was doing that, um, like I was saying earlier, I kind of fell into this accidentally because of my advisor, actually. And when I was sitting in my class, my first social work class, I remember thinking I had never heard of social work in my my whole life. Um, but that introductory class felt so um, aligned with my values of, you know, justice, of, um, in general, just like thinking about humanity and and what people deserve in terms of like, um, you know, uh, basic services and rights that people have, human rights. And it just like really resonated with me. In general, I also think that as someone who has a, who has experienced trauma as well, like I knew I wanted to, to extend my knowledge and experience to other people or find a way to like finesse or I guess like shape that in a way that is um, helpful or useful to other people. So that's actually how I ended up in the field of social work. And also just, I knew that I enjoyed talking to people and hearing their stories. I think storytelling is a very powerful um, mechanism of healing. And so that's the reason why I kind of pursued this and got into this career. Wow. That is super, that is super cool. And um, yeah, I mean, the first of all, thank you for sharing. Cause I honestly be believe in my heart of hearts, you've actually never told me that. So <laughs> yeah, I probably never talked about it, but um, it's just, yeah. I, I like to tell people the shorthand version, which is that I just accidentally ended up here. Got it. And um, I was going to ask you, so what exactly, when it, when it comes to social work, you mentioned a lot of the different, I don't know what to call it, the different topics or themes that you cover, such as inner oh, uh -huh. trauma, um, Asian specific, um, I guess as your, as the clients. So. Yeah, it's like the different specialties you can have. And do you, I guess throughout this whole time with their journey, do you just build, you continue to just build a relationship with them and you continue to I guess really just grow with them is that kind of how yes so funny enough a lot of my clients have been with me for like let me see for over seven years some of them have been with me for a very long time and yeah during that time you're growing together right um I think it's also just that you know people when they first approach therapy they're at a point of their life where they're either in crisis or they recognize that there's something about their life that they want to change um some people wonderfully are like you know self-aware and they're like okay how do I get ahead of this how do I uh do some self-care so that I don't end up having some like um maladaptive pattern of uh behaving or associating with people and so you know, I, I am with my clients from like times when they're the most feeling the most vulnerable anyways. And then we work on different things and um, we get to a point where they feel like uh, it's easier to cope or it, it's uh, the issue is has healed enough that it's not like uh, disrupting their life anymore. Okay. Well, don't, first of all, thank you for sharing your overview, kind of what you do currently mm -hmm. and also 
giving us a you know just at least a taste of what it is being a clinical social worker kind of want to now pivot over to the whole co the conversation of artificial intelligence and before we kind of get specifically into the field of social work like i just want to know have you been playing around with any of these ai tools um and have you have you used them just both i guess personally professionally however you ever want to share if you have used them so you know i haven't personally used any ai a lot um or even professionally well personally i have used it for just like various things sometimes you know storytelling for my kids and things like that but professionally it hasn't been something that i have used a lot yet but i could see it being very useful in terms of like creating tools or like um generating resources that I can give my clients. So one of the aspects of therapy that I value a lot and I care a lot about um, that is a part of the services that I provide is like making sure that they're always connected to resources that they need. Even if it's not directly related to what we do, if it's something that I can't do for them, I do everything that I can to get them in touch with like whatever that is. So for example, Let's say I have a client who's like interested in breath work or interested in um, a type of therapy called somatic experiencing, which is very, it's about the physical experience of your body, right? So I don't specialize in those things, but I'll get them connected with someone, or maybe I'll give them information about that particular topic so that they can have a more informed idea before they start pursuing it. Or sometimes clients will say like, you know, I've been having issues with sleep and I wonder if I have this and, I, and I'll say, okay, well, maybe we can get you in touch with someone who can do a sleep analysis with you. Or if my client um, is sharing that they're having psychiatric issues that could be alleviated by uh, medicine, for example, then we'll get them in touch with like a compassionate psychiatrist. So providing resources, I think is a very important aspect of therapy that isn't really talked about enough. And so I can see myself using that um, for my clients. I just haven't had the need to yet because I have already built a lot of resources um, that I, I have on hand, but I, I could see myself using that in the future. Okay. So kind of essentially using it, using artificial intelligence, when you say, I guess, providing like a re. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like a resource guide mm -hmm. for clients to be able to find specific resources for their specific needs. Yeah. Or I could, you know, I could see myself saying like, okay, what are some like, uh, what is a great summary of this type, this topic that I can share with the client? Um, let's say if it's about a certain type of therapy or something that I'm not familiar with, it's like something I can take a snapshot of and and give to my client or maybe it's like okay what are some great resources I can provide my clients around this particular topic then I can maybe generate some links or um, just like some uh, places that they can do more research or get connected with um, and give that to them as well um, or maybe explaining a question just things like that okay Wow, I've you know I, that's a that's a very interesting application and very practical application. I think that's just something that could be done, 
would you say relatively quickly, like in the near future? Not for you specifically, but just in terms of. I actually think in some ways it's already happening. There are, <laughs> yeah, I guess in the way that like, in the community of therapists that I know, I don't know a lot of people using AI, but I can see companies like big tech companies, for example, that want to get into the field of mental health, for example, um, creating a stopgap um, for people who are unable or having a difficult time with getting connected with a therapist. So what I've seen and heard of, you know, from startups, um, what I have like kind of through the grapevine is, you know, people wanting to create um, some solutions to like this issue that we're having with accessibility to mental health. And so I can see there being like, and I think that this already exists is where someone could talk to maybe some AI of like, okay, these are the, these are the things that I'm exhibiting. Like, like um, what can I do about it? For example, like if I'm feeling particularly sad, you know, I have seen uh, people use it, not personally, but I haven't, uh, I've heard of people using it in the way of like, almost journaling, but through the the use of AI technology. Okay, well, man, you, you jumped right into where I was going. So <laughs> I think I actually, I don't know if it, okay, I remember, do you remember I sent you some screenshots where I was like chatting with the therapist version? Yes, yes. That was, yeah. was kind of weird. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess I want to go back to kind of what you were bringing up in that people are using, people could are using AI in terms of a stopgap, right, to, to have a conversation. And I think you brought up an interesting fact about accessibility, because I always hear people where they say, hey, you know, if you're dealing with these X, Y, Z issues or whatever issues, you know, just go get therapy. But I think the reality of it is is I don't think therapy is as easily accessible as people make it sound. I, no, I think, it's not. Yeah. I think you need to either have, yeah, you need to have insurance. You need to have, if you don't have insurance and you need to have at least certain means, if you want to meet um, in person, you need to have reliable transportation. There's a lot of things. So I guess my question to you then, Joan, is do you think that AI could work as a supplement to your role, if not replace, not not saying replace your role, but a supplement to you? I think it could be a supplement. Um, there are lots of tools that I use that are a supplement to me specifically. Um, and I think like, for example, I do EMDR, which is a type of therapy for people who experience trauma. Um, so it's like, it's called, it's, it has a very long name. Um, but essentially, you know, the sound and the, um, and I guess like the, what it generates for people, like they can just go on YouTube and look for, you know, bilateral stimulation sounds or things like that. So that's an aspect of EMDR. Anyways, like, I see people use those kind of things all the time as a supplement to therapy that's outside of what I do. For example, what I was talking about earlier in the example of like 
you're looking for breath work, that's also another supplement that I can't directly provide. That is good. Something I also do in therapy, and I used to actually record guided meditations to give to my clients as well. That was like tailored to them. But I mean, I could see myself like telling AI to generate like a, a guided meditation prompt, for example, that I could help record or like have sent to the client um, so that they can listen to that or um, or engage in that kind of imagery that might be helpful for grounding or like even saying like, okay, what are like top five grounding techniques that are evidence-based, for example, or like whatever it is, like I can see it being a supplement. I just haven't had the need to use it yet, but I, I do see it being a useful tool in the future. I do wonder sometimes how it's going to look in terms of like how we're, we're meeting at the intersection of technology and therapy. Cause I think that's been the big question for a lot of therapists. Yeah. So how do you feel about people having conversations with AI in replacement of a therapist? I'm always of someone that like, kind of like we were talking about before, accessibility is really important, but I think also the reality is that therapy is not accessible. Um, not really anyways. We like to think that it is and kind of like you were saying, oh yeah, go get therapy. Like if you're struggling with something, but there are a lot of barriers to getting therapy. It's, does this person accept my insurance? Does this person have a similar background to me? Maybe there, there are cultural um, nuances or there are you know aspects of my identity that are very important for me to find in a therapist. But what if that therapist doesn't take my insurance? And what if that therapist charges you know a standard rate that I can't afford? Then what do I do? And the reality is a lot of therapists are leaving insurance panels too because of the, this is a whole other soapbox, but basically just like the, um, the difficulty in dealing with insurance companies too. So um, it's difficult uh, to get therapy. Sometimes you can go to a community center or a nonprofit that provides free therapy or um, if you're, you know, eligible for services, sometimes you can be, you're able to get, uh, you know, therapy for a very low cost, but it might be with someone who is still working towards their license and doesn't have a lot of maybe training or experience in that particular issue you're dealing with, or, um, you know, or it might not be, or it could be a group that's not necessarily facilitated by someone who has like um, a clinical background for example. So there are a lot of things that are barriers. So I actually think people seeking any kind of help is great. Information is helpful. And if in that moment of crisis, someone's able to get some sort of relief, some sort of support in whatever form that that looks like, then I think that that's great. Like if AI could say, okay, these are what I'm, these are the things I'm noticing about you. Here are some things that you can look at. Because, you know, the most important thing that people need when they're seeking therapy services is just to feel heard and seen. And so even if it's a computer generated response, right, as long as they feel like there's somewhere that they can, I guess, like get any kind of um, help or service, like, 
and they can't get therapy, then that's wonderful. I think that's a great thing. It's just, I think we just have to be careful around like people who solely seek, um, I guess like AI for therapy needs. I think that's a little different because I think the human aspect of therapy, um, I tell my clients this all the time, but you're going to get the most out of therapy when your relationship with your therapist is solid. Like when you have a really good relationship with your therapist, you're going to get so much out of therapy because the relational aspect of it is also a big part of healing. Because you can meet with someone who has all these credentials, but if you don't connect with them, you're really not going to get as much out of it. So as a result, when I think about AI, I think that there are things that it could be useful in, but I think it doesn't necessarily ever or ever could replace that relational aspect. Yeah. So what would you say is like, you, you touched on it. You said AI for therapy is different. So I wanted to ask you, what is, I guess, what is like your largest concern with people using AI for therapy? Ethical, honestly, information could be incorrect. I, I don't know. I was just curious. Yes. I think it's a lot of different things, right? Is that like, okay, for example, my main concern is safety. If someone is presenting, you know, suicidal, has a plan, all of those things. As a therapist, when I hear that, my job is to inform somebody and to make sure that this person is, is gonna be safe. Whether that's me you know, calling for a welfare check or um, me encouraging my client to go and seek um, or get admitted, right? Um, there are things that in terms of safety planning and crisis intervention that I don't think AI can do that would encompass like the, the empathy and the compassion that's necessary in those moments. So safety, I think is a real concern because I mean, sure, AI could probably just maybe one day it could like call the police and have someone come. But I think there's a lot of crisis work that happens in between just like saying, okay, I'm connecting you to 911. Because a lot of times, you know, in the work that I have done when I'm, when someone is in crisis, there's a lot of um, rapport building you're built, you're creating with someone to help them understand that they're not alone in that moment. And so being very technical about it is not always helpful, you know, cause they could easily just hang up right or they could um uh check out and i think like the human aspect of it is very important safety wise i just have concerns about that because like what if ai doesn't catch certain phrases or um certain i guess like nuances that a person would be showing to give you the indication that you have something to be concerned about so for me when i'm with the client i'm reading their body language i'm and when I have a relationship with them, when I know that they're off, even though they're giving me the correct answers, there's like my instinctual gut feeling and what I have known in my relationship that I can use to say, okay, this person is not going to be safe. How do I ensure safety? And I've had to do that before. And so I don't think AI is going to be able to do that. Um, Cause I think there, that's just an aspect of like, relationships that is very hard to ca to capture 
you can be very technical about it and like it would be fine but safety is my biggest concern also you know I think too is that as we talk about crisis work and empathy sometimes a canned response seems helpful right it's a it's something at least but there's also a lot of reading between the lines that you're doing when you're meeting with someone and you're talking to somebody that you might not be able to catch unless like you have like a lot of relationship work that you have done um and so you know for example I've had clients who have gone through grief and loss and even though the technical response might be like oh I'm so sorry for your loss like let's say AI said that but for that person that loss was a source of relief for them it wasn't something that was sad but because you wouldn't know that unless you've had a relationship with somebody right like had this like built up understanding that could actually do more damage than good um so anyways there are just so many nuances apologize I apologize for going on and on about this it's just something that I care a lot about but yeah like I think that they're they're just things that you just can't capture yeah no and please don't apologize that's you know there's a lot that you put in there that I'm actually thinking through right now because the first thing I think about right is there's a big difference between me texting the conversation with you versus me calling because when I'm texting I feel like I try to infer like and this is with AI because I'm we're literally just typing with each other versus having a conversation because when I'm looking at your text I'm inferring your intention which could be very different right than compared to me just talking to you and actually hearing those inflections in your voice or you know the thing yeah. the human element that can't be captured in a text absolutely yeah the tone of someone's voice can be either very comforting or it could it could actually exacerbate the issue right and so like for example like they they say this all the time when you work with children is that when children are in a heightened state the softer your voice is and the more calm and gentle it is it's actually helpful for them to bring themselves down and to co-regulate with you and I think it's the same. Like, I think you brought up a good point as when you talk on the phone with somebody and they're in a moment of crisis, they cannot think straight. They are stressed in a state of fight or flight, right? And a lot of adrenaline, just hearing someone's voice saying, hey, I'm here, I'm listening. Like you're not alone in this can be enough to bring someone all the way down um, versus like, you know, texting someone and you're right. Like if you're texting and it's like, okay, this is, this is like, okay, at least a validating response, but I can't necessarily, I'm not in the moment to be judging or interpreting what you're telling me because maybe I don't want that. Maybe I just need to hear somebody, you know? Cool. And well, Joan, I know we're kind of nearing the end of our conversation. So I just had a couple more questions for you. Sure. Yeah. My, my first question is, you know, you said that you can see AI helping with resource, you know, helping with the generation of resources, even helping as a stopgap, right, for people who don't have easy access to therapy. But I guess long term, is there long term, can you see AI impacting your field aside from what you, those things that you just mentioned? Yes, 
Actually, as you were talking, one thing that popped up in my mind is like how useful this would be for teenagers or people who are isolated just because, well, you know, a lot of teenagers are growing up in a world of quick access technology. Sometimes the idea of meeting with a therapist is either intimidating, right? It's like as a teenager, you don't know if you want to necessarily go to another adult that is telling you that what you're doing is wrong or that like is judging you or whatever. So sometimes I could see how for, let's say a teenager that is not able to access therapy, how talking to an someone like an AI um, could be useful in like, hey, like I'm going through this and then providing like some support or links or information that's like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Um, I could see that actually becoming something really big in the future. Um, we talk about, you know, suicide rates with teens and um, and we talk about mental health for young adults and for children all the time. And I think that that is going to be a big area that it's going to be impacted in. Even just teaching people, how do you regulate your feelings? What's a good way of calming down? Or like, you know, when I used to work at Love is Respect, which is the National Teen Dating Abuse Hotline, we use primarily chat and text with teens, right? Because not all of them want to call our hotline and talk to somebody. A lot of times they were like, no, I just want to chat with you. And when they're chatting with us about their relationship, sometimes just knowing that someone's listening to them and giving them information of like, hey, you know, you deserve better. Here are the ways in which this is emotional manipulation. What you're describing is this, for example, is information that's very valuable. And if it's through technology, then great. Like if that gets into the hands of other, of people who need it, then I think that's wonderful. So anyways, to answer your question, I can see it being um, something that continues to grow specifically for like young adults and children. Um, but also, I can see this being useful for adults who want to apply this in their own life. So in terms of my field, I can see this being a great way for clinicians, like if they have questions or if they have like, maybe they're not totally sure how to answer a question, maybe this would be a good way for them to generate resources or information that would be useful for their client instead of saying, sorry, you're going to have to look that up, you know? Um, because not every therapist has time to do all the research. I just do it because I I don't mind and I enjoy it. Um, and I care very deeply about making sure people have access to things. But that's not always the case for most therapists. So I can see that being a useful thing for clinicians. Well, Joan, and my final question to you is, I guess, what are, what are your, um, I guess, your hopes for the future of AI, both in the workplace and in your personal life. I know you, again, you mentioned this throughout the conversation. Is there something that you want to just punk, like, I guess, emphasize? Um, I hope that AI continues to be a supplemental uh, resource for not just clinicians, but for parents, for teachers, for, for people, as a part of the system who need help navigating things, um, who need information or resources to 
to understand their situation and figure out how to best navigate that. So I, I really hope that AI will continue to improve so that that is the case. Because sometimes, you know, as a parent or uh, just someone out there that's like, okay, how do I understand, you know, how to advocate for my uh, my my kid in the school system? Or, you know, um, I just found out so-and-so is uh, um, wrongly accused of something. How do I advocate for that person? And so it's like, I think there are a lot of really great ways it's, it can be used. And, um, and I hope that it continues to also be a resource for people who don't have therapy as an option, um, who need support or um, connection with something um, to give them some validation or uh, support. So my main takeaway is I don't think AI is a bad thing if it's used in the right way, but sometimes I do worry that um, there are things that are gonna be missed as a result of um, relying too heavily on the technology to deliver a service that's very much based on the human relationship experience. Well, Joan, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. And thanks for getting on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been, it was a great conversation. <laughs> I'm going to stop the thing. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to continue exploring the future of AI and various professions with us, please make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. By following us, you'll be able to stay updated on every new episode as soon as it's released. Thanks again for listening.